Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Top Docs Radio. I can already tell it's going to be a good show. That was a nice little dance, you guys. I like that little intro dance. Joining us on the mic, as always, (laughs) producer extraordinaire, Krista Barudi. I didn't even wait for the intro that time. Hey, you just jump on in. Yeah. I I should have that intro memorized by now since I've done it. And I want to say thanks again for that compliment you were saying. Where I've got a face for radio and a voice for print. That was so 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 up. nice he for you to say. <laughs> Who do we have in the studio today? Well, today is one of those uh, uh, shows that we're putting on in conjunction with our friends at Northside Hospital. So thanks to the folks at Northside for uh, making one of their experts available to us. We're do- joined in the studio by Dr. John Mentor, orthopedic surgeon from the Northside Total Joint Specialist up, located up in uh, Forsyth County at uh, Northside Forsyth. So thanks for taking time out of your busy day to uh, tell us about what you do. It's it's my pleasure. I Actually, I just left the operating room about uh, probably about an hour or so ago to get here. And I was thankful I could make it. And from coming, how long did it take you? Um, there was a brief slowdown around the uh, uh, the, the, the sheriff's department, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, it didn't take me too long to get down here. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Now, you've been doing surgery for quite a while. Take me through you know, how you got into orthopedics. Let's start at the beginning. We'll work our way forward. It, orthopedics, I think with most any specialty, interest of anybody going through medical school is that it's all about your mentors. And um, I happen to run into some really good mentors. And whenever you see those people, a lot of times you want to be like them. And uh, if it's in a uh, area that you can identify with and enjoy, then that's a lot of times what how you move into that specialty area. And so early on, that's what I did. Well, look like you know you might have had some athletics in your background. Did that kind of t- play a role in thinking you wanted to be you know in orthopedics? Um, you, you know, I think that there that there can be a tie-in, um, but uh, frankly, my father was a, a large animal veterinarian. Oh, cool. And uh, he suggested maybe I should go into human medicine. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm glad I took that advice uh, because it has, it's, it's, been a, it's been a great experience so far. My daughter, uh, who's 11, she's, she's plotting her course to uh, being a veterinarian, so... <laughs> All, all little girls do that. <laughs> I wanted to be a veterinarian until I went to career day and held, like, gallstones from a dog. And I was like, what? Oh, I don't no, get to cuddle not with gonna them? not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been practicing in orthopedics for quite a while. And, um, you know, from what I understand, you do a lot of focus in the, you know, in joint replacement. So, uh, you know, what what made Atlanta the place you wanted to be? Very, it's very interesting. I... Uh, I did practice uh, for a very short while in Oklahoma because that's where I'm from. And uh, oh wow, where uh, where about in Oklahoma? Uh, in Norman, Oklahoma. Okay, uh, Oklahoma City area. And um, it it was a great practice, but Oklahoma does not have a trauma system. And what happens is that if you uh, 
if your hospital is a neurosurgeon, basically you turn into a, a level one trauma center. And I was in a practice that it was almost, you know, every other night on call. Uh, so were you uh, at Norman Regional? I was at Norman Regional. Baptist uh, Medical Center. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, w- I was actually born <laughs> in that hospital too. So it really was going home. But, uh, you know, my, my passion was for joint replacement and, uh, I was recruited to come to uh, Atlanta uh, back in 96 time frame uh, and uh, ended up, you know, coming here many years ago uh, to develop a joint replacement practice. Well, you know, obviously through the name of the of the practice, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, it, it's one of the Northside kind of an owned or is it a, a, at least affiliated for sure but uh, how, how does that yes relationship it is work? yeah it, actually it's the first time i've ever been uh, a, a hospital employed physician and uh what i found is is that uh Nor- Northside has been uh, very good in terms of uh, allowing me to to practice in the specialty area and to and to really develop this as uh, to, to sort of coin a phrase a, a service line uh, that is geared primarily to uh, uh, joint replacement. Well, I've you know I've been real impressed so far with the folks that I've met from Northside. All, all seem to be quite forward thinking and and very much people kinds of folks. So you know it's been uh, a pleasure for me to be able to uh, provide access to the media so that the community can get to know some of their specialists that much better. I mean you know when you're when you're a person you're having either pain or some some kind of problem that you need to go to a doctor for it's nice to be able to actually get a sense of the person before you get there uh, to have a little bit less anxiety when you go and and so you know transition over what what typically brings your patients in i'm sure it's a good measure of of pain of some sort but uh, what usually makes them come to you know to you the the joint specialist sure you know i uh you know, when patients come in to see me, you know, one of the first things I say is, I'm sorry you're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, because typically they're not here because they feel really good and they want to yeah. say hi. Uh, it's because they hurt a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's really great about uh, uh, about our practice is that I have a great supporting staff. And they also understand that when people come in, they're usually in pain. Uh, so it's very it's a very gratifying subspecialty area to be able to take people that have tremendous pain and transition that into uh, a whole lot less pain. I would imagine that, you know, a good deal of, you know, athletic folks from high school on up are, are coming mm-hmm. through as patients for you with, you know, traumatic injuries of different kinds. We, I, that's, that's a remarkable uh, amount of people out there because, you know, I, I tend to tell people that I take care of aging athletes and there's not one person that you can't run into that doesn't consider themselves, you know, uh, an athlete in some form or another, or that they, that they, maybe they weren't so uh, active in high school, but they did a lot in college or they didn't do much in college, but now they, now they, they work out all the time. And, um, you combine some environment, a little bit of DNA, uh, maybe some injury, and all of a sudden you have a setup for some problems. Now, when it comes to, you know, working on joint injuries, what, what necessitates you know, a total joint replacement where you're actually coming in and you're putting in a prosthesis of some sort, you know, versus maybe a tendon repair or something like that? Well, you know, joint replace, you know, for example, the knee, and I tell patients this a lot too, that I wish, I wish we really didn't refer to it as replacement because in a way it's resurfacing because what we do is we resurface the ends of the bone. Um, and that really is more applicable to the knee. Now in the hip, um, in a sense, it is there is more bone that's removed 
then replaced with uh, a device that goes down into the canal with a stem on it and a ball that articulates in the socket. But for, for the knee, it's, it really is more of a resurfacing procedure. And uh, there's also partial knee replacement. So there's a lot of variation, sort of variation on a theme. Um, uh, but what these surgeries do is, they, is, is that they're really geared for pain relief. And, uh, you know, if somebody has a, a tendon tear or a ligament tear, you know, that's a repair. Uh, but for joint replacement, it is, it is a lot more to it than that. And, uh, you know, I talked about, you know, traumatic injuries, but a lot of what brings folks to you for your expertise is arthritis damage. Sure, and that arthritis comes in any form. I, I mean, there's, there's osteoarthritis, which is the most common form of arthritis. Uh, uh, you know, Phil Mickelson talks about psoriatic arthritis, and he, and he you know, is on medication for that. Uh, there's rheumatoid arthritis. There's, there's gout. There's another type of gout called pseudogout. There's just this, uh, and there's just a host of different forms of arthritis that, that people can suffer. And there's traumatic arthritis uh, as a result of, let's say, a motor vehicle accident. Uh, where the, the the cartilage is damaged as a result of a trauma. So, when you you know with your with your you know practice, it sounds like you know that's really the focus is is doing that joint resurfacing, uh, you know, as you as you like to you know describe it, uh, more so than say tendon tears and things like that. Well. It, you know, we have great subspecialists, uh, especially on the sports medicine side, that deal with these ligament tears and things like that. Um, but, you know, at some point after, you know, folks have had a few surgeries or a few injuries, it reaches a point where really it's almost beyond what a sports medicine doctor can do in terms of, uh, you know, a, a repair, quote unquote. So w- when it comes to trying to decide, uh, say, you know, because I'm sure a lot of the patients, as we were just talking about, are coming with some sort of a, a disease process like an arthritis that's causing the damage to occur over time as much as anything over tra- traumatic type injuries. But is it ma- mainly quality of life that that is, okay, when do we cross that threshold of, geez, I really can't stand this discomfort anymore. It's really disrupting my daily activities that it begins to make sense or or should patients maybe think about it sooner than they tend to do so you know you can't uh one thing i try never to do is insist on anybody getting a surgery before it's it's sort of their time Mm -hmm. and but a lot of what we do is we educate patients about really what is kind of an appropriate sort of selection criteria for that uh for example um, a lot of patients will come in in complete denial of their pain for years and they come in in a wheelchair (laughs) they really do they'll they're they're so into avoidance that they come in in a wheelchair and you know by that time they have very severe deformities and uh, the the joints very contracted and and it just makes you know tougher sledding for me and also for them in terms of recovery but a lot of times if patients can recognize it early on if they have a lot of uh, pain uh, and limitations in function, then a lot of times they can grasp the idea that maybe they can do that quality of life and reduction of pain, you know, change, and that and that comes in the form of a surgery. When it when it comes to deciding, you know, to to pull the trigger on, you know, say say my problem is a hip, uh, you know, what is my experience like, uh, you know, from the you know from coming in to doing my surgery through how long does it take me to get home and and you know how long before I'm back on my feet, you know, at or 
close to where you know where I was say pre-disease or pre-injury uh I love that question uh (laughs) because you know there's a lot of variation you know and everybody's just a little bit different but the the area that I practice in in this location um you know we see a lot of patients uh you know 44 to 64 and of course we see folks on the other sides of that as well that have arthritic problems unfortunately but um what we see a lot of times is, let's say we see a 54-year-old who's very active, but let's say his or her hip is just killing him. You know, they can't play tennis anymore, uh, or if they try, they really hurt, and they just can't go. Um, those patients are usually somewhat athletic, somewhat very fit, and, you know, our expectation is, is uh, on the day of surgery that it's, there's a pretty good chance that they're going to go home. Uh, really? Depending on the time of day. Right. You know, for example, sure. if somebody has a surgery at 6 o'clock, we're not going to boot them out at yeah. 11 o'clock at night. But um, if the surgery occurs early enough in the day and, uh, you know, they're not having any nausea and their pain's well controlled with oral medication, um, the therapist is going to get them up and they're going to get them going. Gosh, man, that just goes to show you how long it's been since I've been in the hospital. Because, uh, you know, when I was working, you know, in CVICU, we would occasionally, you know, cover other areas and being able to see patients with total hips, for example, like when I was in recovery, and it was a wedge pillow in place, and they're in the hospital for several days and, and all that. What has changed well, the expectations, that makes that happen? Yeah, the expectations have changed. Uh, not only patient expectations, but also physician, hospital expectations. You know, the great thing about Northside is that they, they really, um, they have taken on this mantle of trying to, to, to sort of move, uh, you know, move the boundaries in, in, in such a way that the patients can benefit from, you know, from going home kind of when they're supposed to. You know, a lot of that was just sort of, just sort of wrote. Everybody accepted that, well, you know, it's going to take four or five days. Right. You get to go home and, yeah. you know. Uh, that type of thing. So from a rehabilitation perspective in terms of being able to, you know, trust it to get up on it, I would imagine for me anyway, when I think about it, if I were to have a prosthetic hip or a prosthetic knee, I would, I would imagine as much as anything, I'd just be fearful to, to begin to bear weight on it and move around and, you know, is it going to hold? Um, so having somebody to encourage me to do those types of things, I'm sure would be effective. Do they do, do, do patients do like outpatient, um, physical therapy after their surgery? How does that process well, flow for them? you know, for example, in the hospital, our expectation is they should be able to walk, you know, 100, 200 feet uh, uh, with with minimal to, to no assistance and be able to go up and down stairs. And if they can accomplish that goal, as I said, you know, day of surgery and they're comfortable, we will let them go home. Uh, as far as uh, subsequent, subsequent therapy when they go home. We, you know, we really do like to have uh, therapists come into the home. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's just for pure convenience sake. Um, and we'll usually do that two or three times a week for, uh, you know, on the order of two to three weeks. And then at some point we'll transition them over to, uh, to outpatient therapy. Uh, you know, a lot of times they just want to get out of the house. Um, most people, uh, you know, we like to, let, we'll let them drive after uh, two or three weeks, um, typically after a couple of weeks. So what is it about driving that is it just the position that uh, that is you know not necessarily ideal what would what would uh, you make know driving what? a risk I, I think some of it is the fact that uh, a lot of times the pain medication that we uh-huh. use yeah. uh, I mean we, we want people to to be relatively you know pain free and that's how they do well in therapy 
And if they've got a little narcotic on board and you say, okay, it's okay to drive, <laughs> well, maybe that's not such a good call. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see that for right, sure. Right. Well, I'm just, I'm st- you know, my mind is actually blown now that I can go have a total hip and I can go home the same day in, in many cases. that's That, that just blows yeah. my mind. And, it, and that is a born out of more a change in philosophy rather than change in techniques or I, I, have well, the materials and so forth in the process things. Come there's around. some technique things. And also there's some uh, pharmaceutical things as well. Uh, as far as uh, technically, um, and we can get into some of the details, but we do, um, uh, one thing we take advantage of is we like to employ the use of a, of a robot, believe it or not, to assist us. Uh, and it's not like uh, a robot is doing the surgery, but it's sort of an assistive tool for us. We find that that, that really reduces a lot of trauma uh, to the soft tissues. These patients really do well uh, with this. But on the other hand, we have some pharmaceutical agents now that are really clearly superior. Uh, you know, we use uh, IV Tylenol, which uh, uh, is really remarkably good medication, both pre- and post-operatively. We have some strong IV anti-inflammatories that are suitable for most patients, at least in the short term, around the, these sorts of surgeries. And a lot of times we really do kind of consider these outpatients. So for the duration that you use the medicine, it's not really a problem. Um, the other thing, too, is that um, uh, there is a new long-acting uh, local anesthetic agent um, that we, uh, it's actually sort of a lipid-based or a fatty-based uh, uh, chemical that actually holds uh, our our typical long-acting local anesthetics for sometimes up to, you know, maybe 72 hours. And those are, that's that critical period right, after yeah. surgery that people really do hurt. And it's not just you know, myself that's using this. I mean, a lot of doctors across the country and uh, for a whole lot of other types of surgery. So uh, we're going to see these shorter duration stays uh, when it's appropriate for, you know, the right people. Now, we were talking about hips, you know, in, in our example, but does that hold true for knees as well? Yeah, yeah, focusing a lot on hips, but absolutely. You know, we'll, we use these same pharmaceutical agents. And, um, you know, my expectation is, again, for that 44 to 64, you know, female or male that's in good health and uh, they're doing well post operatively. A lot of times these folks are, are going home at the end of the day. Uh, that's that's really cool. And how much in, you know, since you've been practicing for a little bit, I mean, how much have the devices themselves, like the prosthetic uh, devices that you're using to replace, say, a condyle of some kind, or, um, you know, how much have the materials and techniques changed, you know, to get you to where you are today, where you're obviously you've got some really cool, um, you know, chemistry that will help you control pain, but uh, just in terms of its technique or products that you're using to do the surgery, is it, you know, really changed a lot, or is it just kind of, you know, titanium versus steel or something like that? You know, it, back in the early 90s, it seems like we would see a new uh, implant device every year, almost like a new, uh, like <laughs> new, a new <laughs> car. Well, like a new car. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was always, everybody's anticipating, oh, a new car model. Uh, or a new, or it's new hip and knee model. Well, that's that's Just not imagining people walking around bragging about their latest hip model. I got exactly, the '96 exactly. model. Exactly. I know. Well, I mean, that's really you know, and for a while, and it's less so now. But patient would say, "Now, is this is this like the newest thing?" I don't know how they would perceive that 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 would be the case, but it really was the case. And um, even orthopedists would be talking to you know some of these companies say, "Well, I mean." We're using this. What do you have coming down the pike? But now uh, what we really feel like is, is that the technology has really evolved to a point where changes are extremely incremental, mm-hmm. extremely so. And, and if they do change, it really truly is for benefit. Uh, it's not really for flash. Um, 
but uh, you know, frankly, these companies spend hundreds of millions of dollars on trying to make these incremental changes, uh, and you know, it's for patient benefit. Um, but we do see we do see some some um, effective results as as a result as as a result of these techno- te- technological changes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what are my alternatives? You know, if if I've gotten you know, I'm one of those folks that have either, for whatever reason, I've had joint deterioration to the place where, you know, a total replacement would make sense. What are my alternatives if I'm reticent or, or there, maybe there's something else um, with, my, with my health history that might make it a, a more challenging experience for me? What are my choices that I have besides total replacement? Well, a lot of that depends on the level of arthritis that you have. You know, and if you have very minor arthritis, a lot of times, and I, I tell patients this, I mean, I can give you an aspirin, and you may very well feel better. Uh, if your arthritis gets a little worse, that's probably going to take, you know, an ibuprofen. <laughs> and if it gets a little worse, you know, it's all sort of graded. And uh, if it gets worse, you, know, you may require a prescription-strength anti-inflammatory. It goes beyond that, then we start to talk about, you know, how can we really control your pain a little bit better? And honestly, we do really prefer non-narcotic pain relievers. The worst thing I, I think you can I can imagine is giving people narcotics to cover up their pain yeah. uh, with their arthritis, and that's just that's just a, a bad road for sure. Um, there are injectable medications. Uh, you know, cortisone is sort of a standard. Uh, it does alleviate pain and inflammation, but unfortunately, as the arthritis gets worse it doesn't last as long or as, as, or as effective. And there's only a certain number of times you can use it. Yeah, is that I really right? don't like to give it frequently. I, gosh, I remember just, you know, uh, you know, uh, in the old days, you know, yeah. I, I just get a shot of cortisone <laughs> every right. week, you know, oh my gosh, I, you can't do that. Um, there are some injectable joint lubricants, but you know, we're just, uh, you know, it, it, it works okay with, with sort of minor to moderate osteoarthritis doesn't really work well if you've got it in a severe fashion. So as, as your arthritis gets worse, we really, really, really run out of options. Um, and then, uh, then you throw in, you know, deformity and contract. It's just, I mean, it really, it, it kind of narrows to a point where it's mm-hmm. almost a choke point where you really have to either endure it or make a decision to, to go ahead with it. So who's typically referring a patient to you? Is it a rheumatologist or a primary care physician or even possibly another ortho that, you know, that, that's been seeing them and they know that, you know, f- this is probably at some point in time going to be somebody that would need to consider a total joint replacement. So let's send them to the folks that this is what they do. Uh, who, who's usually interfacing well, with you? Well, it, it occurs on so many levels. And I've been in Georgia for a long time. So, uh, you know, I get referrals from physical therapists. You know, it's just you get referrals from all across the board, you know, you love patient referrals because, mm-hmm. you know, they, people go home and they go to church and all of a sudden, you know, Opal's walking, <laughs> you know, quite a bit better than she did last yeah, week. I'm sure that's extremely and, rewarding. And, and it is. It's great. Um, uh, primary care physicians, certainly, you know, internists, absolutely. Rheumatologists, uh, for sure. You know, rheumatologists, you know, they tend to, a lot of times they, they tend to see kind of the, the, the the, the worst cases in a, in a way, I believe, uh, you know, the rheumatoid patients mm-hmm. and the other uh, unusual arthritic forms. Um, the, uh, uh, in, in my practice, if I get a referral from an orthopedist, it's usually because it's a really tough uh, problem. Uh, the average orthopedic surgeon in the United States does about maybe 25 to 50 uh, joint replacements a year, uh, whereas a guy like me that uh, uh, does 
you know, this is a subspecialty. We'll do quite a few more. We've been talking with Dr. John Minter of the Northside Total Joint Specialist. And, you know, for the, for the patient that's, um, you know, going into this, you, you talked earlier about robotic surgery. What are the applications for it? I mean, is it mainly with hips or is there a possibility that, uh, that the robot might be able to contribute to other, you know, joint replacement surgeries as wow. well? Love that question too. Okay, so it's available for hip replacement, and there's uh, there, and it it really does work beautifully for that. Is uh, it mainly dealing with? You talked about the fact that it seems to have less trauma to the soft tissue. Is that is it doing some incision type work or no? Or? Um, you know, it's uh, so many patients have a preconceived idea of a, what a what the robot is and does in surgery, and it's it's it is kind of funny to dispel those myths. Uh, you know, what I tell them is I don't put four quarters in the robot and then <laughs> That's go, a good out, thing. go oh, out. Geez, somebody's got to go get me yeah, some quarters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go out and like, uh, you know, have a smoke break, you know, <laughs> you know right. do some laundry, put it on go to the control. bank, you know, and then I come back in 90 minutes later and say, are you guys done yet? Yeah. Uh, we'll watch no. the video together. Exactly. No. So, um, you know, actually what happens and, and let me answer your question, uh, in more depth. It, it is also available for partial knee replacement. Uh, now, without giving too much away in, in international, you know, secrets and of such, uh, it, it they are developing um, uh, software and hardware for total knee replacement, which uh, is going to be remarkable. Uh, I, I'm sure you're going to see it for everything from ankle replacement to shoulder replacement. Uh, I, I mean, I really think that, you know, robots are a part of industry. They're a part of our day-to-day. We don't even know that they're around there and it's going to become more and more frequent um now is it going to replace the surgeon absolutely not mm-hmm. uh i can tell you that because uh you know i'm doing the surgery what what it is, is the, it, the robot is an assistive tool that's exactly what it is now is it the sort of thing where you are actually guiding a certain function the the machine is executing it but you're controlling it with absolutely. controls sure and what functions are you know is it handling is it dealing with you know inserting the the device into the bone itself so that's it well, in place or what you know, parts it doing for example on the hip socket uh, there is a hemispherical reamer that we actually ream the cartilage away and with the robot uh, that's what it does but I guide it in and what we do is I actually have my eyes not only on the incision but I'm looking at a computer screen that mm-hmm. tells me the exact position I'm supposed to be in um, Preparations for surgery include a CT scan. That CT scan is sent to the headquarters of this company where they actually sort of develop that. What they do, they develop a program um, uh, that allows us to uh, mesh this pre-op CT scan with the software. And then in the form of the robot, we're able to, to prepare the socket with it. And then once that's completed, then we put the, the final implant in it or, the, or that hemispherical you know, permanent socket itself. It sounds sort of like the process that the OMFS people go through before they do an orthognathic surgery on someone's face, where they do all these angles and computations and things sure. like that. That it sounds like it's kind of giving you angles of entry. Oh, oh or it's how like an, it's, of, it's like a GPS yeah. that you attach yeah. to the patient's pelvis, yeah. and it's. Uh, uh, you know, I can tell you. At first, I, I I would say that I wasn't truly a believer. I thought, you know, this this is just more than we need. But I tell you what, after you do it and you realize that what you plan to do, you do. It's it's really remarkable. And what's great about it is that you know, with typical hip replacement, what we have to do is we have to kind of we we have to 
ream various sizes, and we'd go up to a certain size, and they were done, and all that. This takes all that away. It's basically a simple one pass, and we're done. Then we go on to the socket. We're done. And as a result, there's there's very little soft tissue trauma at all. And and who knows what's taking place at a biological level in yeah. terms of chemical factors. Right. We, we minimize all that, yeah. these inflammatory factors. Now, as far as when you're doing, you know, I would assume with total knees, it, it's probably all but surely open. But uh, how much can you do minimally invasive with these types of procedures nowadays versus a traditional, you know, we've got to have an incision through the soft tissue and stuff. How, how much are you able to do open versus well, you minimally know, invasive? With a, with, a, with a partial knee replacement, those are usually kind of smaller incisions because we're not putting big parts in. And you know, I just get these, you get, you'll get the occasional question, do you have to make a big incision? And I'm, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm holding an example of the part, is, and, it's, and it's really large. And it's I go, like I, I don't think I can put this hunk of metal Half in a baseball's got to go in here. Through a, like a quarter-inch incision. So, oh, okay, doctor, I understand. Uh, and I will say this, that, that uh, kind of in the early 90s, we went through a phase in orthopedics where uh, minimally invasive surgery was marketed to the nth degree. And uh, very honestly, it was kind of a detriment um, because we actually were trying to put big things in small places. And you know what? I, I it, it was kind of a disservice, I think, to a lot of patients because a lot of times the doctors really couldn't see very well. Uh, so what's happened is the we've kind of swung a, a little bit more back to uh, – what we think is really should be a good size incision and the although i will tell you i think overall they're smaller than what they traditionally were but they're not these super small incisions that 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 we saw in the early 90s Um, so we know we can do hips and and knees but uh, elbows shoulders where where else do you do total joint replacement well you, you oh it's it's remarkable uh as i mentioned you know there's ankle arthro or ankle replacement uh you know the shoulder replacement uh there's a lot of small uh uh you know hand and uh you know there's even total wrists i mean there's all <laughs> wow. these things now of course those are the things that when you start you know when you start diving into those areas you're diving into areas that that you know i say I've got just the person for you to see, right. uh, but uh, you know, as I said, for me, it's hip and knee. But but there, yeah. but I think what we're going to see, especially in the robotics side, we're going to see a real amplification of a lot of great, you know, uh, technological changes. So, what's what's something that would you know? I've got the indication. I've got the you know the joint damage from whatever cause. Uh, what would keep me from being a candidate to go ahead and get that? total replacement surgery and have to go with other options well i've only had one patient climb off of a gurney on the way back to the operating room in 20 years (laughs) so i think anxiety might be number one (laughs) okay (laughs) so if you can get those are from pretty good statistics then if only one in 20 years that's not bad i'm a a very very calming attitude before surgery uh but uh, uh she was a sweet lady she never came back i don't know don't know what happened to her uh but uh you know, the things that keep people from having surgery. Well, a lot of times what we do is as a part of the preparation for surgery, we will uh, have folks get a medical clearance. And most everybody who who needs a joint replacement is of of an age that it is appropriate to receive that. Mm-hmm. And usually that's performed by the internal medicine specialist or their family uh, physician. If they have any cardiac history or any other issues, we want to make sure that 
that all the subspecialists sort of sign off on it. Gotcha. You know, we don't want to be the lone wolf and say, oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you know, fine. I think that's fine. You have one lung and your your heart doesn't work. That's, that's cool. Uh, but, no, we, we do that. Now, the other thing we also do is we get a dental clearance also. Uh, not everybody is hard and fast on that, but I can tell you I am. Um, because a lot of times there's some hidden problems, uh, you know, oral uh, hygiene, uh, you know, gingivitis, uh, yeah, small abscesses, teeth, yeah. carious teeth. I mean, wow. The, and the, just orthopedic joint replacement is strewn with anecdotes about patients with bad teeth. And so as a result, we like to take care of it on the front end, not deal with it on the back end. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, you know, that's, that's pretty crazy. When, when you get somebody, are you able to, if they've had a surgery in the past for a replacement, um, you know, based on everything I know, it's probably not you that did the surgery in the past. So if someone comes to you with a surgery previously, is there an option for them to have a total replacement redone uh, again if they've, you know, for whatever reasons they've continued to have, you know, life-disrupting pain or problems around that uh, well, previous surgery? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I, I had to get a, a root canal one time, and uh, I was I was there in the chair, and I was sitting there. I could see the oral surgeon. This guy goes through a routine. He does it every day, does it so many times a day, and he has this routine. I thought, this reminds me a lot of joint replacement. Yeah. Because, you know, you go through these technical steps to do this root canal, and he just does, and it's like when it's all done, it's all done. But the fact is that not every root canal goes well. And a lot of times, you know, uh, let's say uh, the, the tooth fractures, you got to do this or do that. Well, you know what? That's surgery. Yeah. The same thing happens with any kind of joint replacement. Um, we had a wonderful lady that we operated on this last summer. Uh, she was in a grocery store, and uh, in front of her, somebody had dropped – uh, you know, like some carrot juice, and it, on, you know, it was in a glass container, shattered, busted everywhere. She comes around the corner, just lost her footing momentarily, comes directly down on the knee, and she pops a major ligament in her knee that's responsible for a lot of the stability of the knee after joint replacement. Well, so she comes in, I see her, and I go, this knee is not <laughs> as sound as it was a month ago when I saw you. And unfortunately, yeah, we had to go back, and, and we had to do some work to change that. And yeah, we call that revision surgery. That's, that would be kind of the mildest sort of, you know, extreme in a sense. Um, but there's a whole lot of other problems that can take place. Um, you know, loose parts, the cement debonds, you know, and it, you know, reminds me of a root canal. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? But, it, you know, so it is possible if I've had a surgery in the past that I can still have a positive outcome if I have to come back and have it repeated or revised. Sure. And a lot of times those are really happy patients. For whatever reason, the surgery didn't go well, uh, or Paris thought they got an infection. Uh, if you were able to eradicate that and get in a stable joint that works well for them, you know, those are some of my happiest patients. We've been talking with Dr. John Mentor from the Northside Total Joint Specialists up in uh, Northside Forsyth Hospital, part of the Northside Health System. And I'm sure you've got some good stories about, you know, patients that have come through that you've met that, you know, when they left, man, you were like, wow, man, that was, that's why I do what I do. Can you tell, you know, tell us about a you know, no, I, person I, I or two? No, I don't have any stories like that. You don't that. really have anything that makes you feel like, gosh, <laughs> this is awesome. Lives, nothing inspiring. <laughs> uh, you know, it, I hate to say it, but you really do have countless stories, countless stories. And, um, you know, of course, here in Georgia, you know, you have a lot of people that'll say, I want to hug your neck, doctor. Oh. You know, so there's there's a lot of those kind of stories. 
Um, but it's, it's, I love going to work every day. Uh, even in the worst of circumstances, you know, you got a big day going on or patients are having a struggle. Uh, it's fun to get up and go because uh, you, you really do feel like you're accomplishing something. You really feel like you're helping somebody. For the person out there listening that, that you know, maybe they or their loved one is dealing with some, you know, significant discomfort, you know, related to a joint problem. Uh, do you have any final thoughts for them advice-wise in terms of, you know, how they, how should, at what point should they get involved with someone like you? Because you mentioned the fact that there's some non-surgical things that you might try before you go to surgery. So what kind of advice would you give to that person who's not taken action yet? Well, I, th- I, I think uh, keep your eyes open for opportunities to encourage them to have the surgery. You know, the, the trouble is for people that hurt a lot, what they don't understand is if they start sitting down or laying down, then frankly, I think their heart and lungs realize it. Uh, it's like the heart's like I can hear I can almost hear the conversation. Well, I guess uh, right, cool. Mr. Smith doesn't really need me to do a lot of work today, so I'm just going to take a break and I'm going to get weaker and weaker every day. And so a lot of people are compl- you know Americans in general, unfortunately, are are not very physically active. And but if you throw arthritis on top of it, then they they get really debilitated. And so if they want to stay on the planet, you've, you you you've got to keep moving. You've got to keep moving, and that's what I tell people. You, you got to keep moving. If so you don't, it sounds like a lot of people really do use avoidance, you know, behaviors to try to keep from hurting. And that, you know, as you described, a person that stays in a wheelchair or lays around just because it hurts to move, rather than going and seeking out an expert, such as the folks in your office. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, tell the folks how to get in touch with your your practice. I mean, I'm sure website and social media presence. Yes, uh, we do have a website. It's uh, www.northsidetotaljointspecialist.com, and uh, that's uh, that's one way to do it. Uh, you know, local number, uh, we don't have a 1-800 number, uh, is uh, 770-667-4343, and, uh, um, you know, People are standing by. <laughs> Operators are waiting to help you now. Right. Yeah. But wait, there's more. No, that's, that, that's, <laughs> if you call yeah, now. Yeah, $100 exactly. value. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, as I, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the specialists that come on our show have very busy practices. They have countless people that are waiting on them for care. So for you to take some time out of your busy day to come down here and join us in the studio and uh, share some information for the folks out there who are dealing with this type of pain, um, I've seen it myself, you know, folks that uh, just kind of begin to deteriorate once they're trying to keep from hurting and, you know, that, that begins to spiral. So uh, take heart to know that there are specialists here, uh, particularly with our friends at Northside, that uh, can get you back on your feet, keep you on your feet, keep you moving, keep you healthy. Um, thanks to you, Dr. John Mentor, for taking time to, uh, to, to share with us a little bit today about your story and what you do. Thank you very much. Thanks to producer Krista Baruti. Thank you, CW, for letting me push your buttons. <laughs> it kills every time. I Join us. <laughs> same time, same place next week. We'll see you at 2.30 on Tuesday.